Good to see all of you this morning. If you're looking at my pants now, I had a wardrobe malfunction in the baptistry, and so I have. Actually, I had a. Last time we baptized, I had one leak in, in, this, in this leg, and so one of our guys, Jack Wright, said he'd fix it for me, <laughs> so now I've got three leaks. Uh, I had something like three leaks. Anyway, God bless him. He tried, y'all. That was, that was good. Uh, this is the final message in the series CrossFit. If you're joining us in the cafe or by way of audio video podcast, welcome to you. We had several weeks talking about discipleship and practical ways to grow as followers of Jesus. This is the last day for the resource table out front. Um, each of these weeks, we've dealt with one specific spiritual discipline. And today I'm kind of putting two together. One is study and one is journaling. These are both focuses for today. And these little books are on the table out there. I think they're a, a dollar a piece. But at the end of this series, Warren has bundled these together. So I think there are five uh, that Warren's going to save for four bucks. Is that right? Warren don't go on sale very often, y'all. So, so y'all better jump on this. Now, if you get all the little books together, it's actually a pretty good deal. And I really like, I can't say enough about these little books. They're really excellent. And if you just want... Uh, reminders or little ways to learn more about how you can grow in Christ. These little books are excellent, so grab those. The book by Donald Whitney, Spiritual Disciplines, is excellent. Pick that up as well. Again, it's your last day to find those resources. Uh, God bless you. Open your Bibles today to Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Matthew chapter 11. Let's wrap it up with words from Jesus. One of my favorite theologians, Dolly Parton, says that uh, every time she sees a school bus, to this day, she gets depressed. She just thinks those poor kids. She says she hated school. How many of you hated school? School just wasn't good. School's difficult. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot about school that is difficult. I kind of liked school. School's all about learning, and that's why they put teachers there and books. But, but there's a whole lot of other stuff there that distracts um, many of us, most of us. And so school becomes about a whole lot more. You probably remember standing at the chalkboard with these horribly embarrassing moments. So they put you up in front of the whole class to do a math problem. And somehow that's uh, always really difficult, really embarrassing. Uh, remember mystery meat in the cafeteria? It's like country fried something. Uh, yeah, that was always good. Um, I remember one day Bonnie Tucker found a Band-Aid in a bowl of chili at Rich Pond's cafeteria. That was awesome, y'all. That was, that was really cool. Um, just time for you know, which lady lost that, you know? Uh, that, 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 was, that was fun. I, I, I learned all about love in third grade, y'all. I mean, I was... Uh, I was a, a dopey little kid, uh, but, but I became a man in third grade when uh, we got this student teacher, y'all, and I've never seen a woman so beautiful in my life. You remember, I'm from Matlock, you know, we, you know so um, her name was Ms. Winkle. Isn't that awesome? It's like a princess's name. Miss Winkle, she was like 12 feet tall, and she had red hair, you all, and she was so beautiful, and I loved her. I mean, I loved, I mean, I fell in love with her. Uh, this was back in the day when they could read Bible stories at school, honestly. So at Rich Pond School, Miss Winkle, our student teacher, would read the Bible to us. And that's when I learned to love the Bible. <laughs> I mean, true story. Yeah, I just loved. I mean, she would stand there and she would read and I would watch her lips. And just think, oh, I love the Bible so much. 
she read us the story of Samson and Delilah, and truly, it's the first time I'd ever heard the story of Samson and Delilah. And every day, I was just, you know, waiting to find out what would happen next. And, and seriously, uh, uh, she would read about Samson and Delilah, and I would kind of close my eyes and think about, like, if I was Samson and Ms. Winkle was Delilah, only she wouldn't cut my hair, and we would live happily. I mean, I loved, y'all don't understand, I loved Ms. Winkle. And then one day, I'm so off this sermon, I'm sorry. Then one day, she was our student teacher, Ron Wilson. Y'all know Ron, he's a member of our church. Ron Wilson did his student teaching when I was in third grade. He was like down in Miss Morgan's first grade class. So Ron Wilson was a college student doing student teaching. And so uh, I was, of course, in love with Ms. Winkle, and, and I was looking at her one day in the hallway, you know, imagining our, you know, planning our wedding out. And then um, Ron Wilson walks up, and he says something. Then he says, thank you, Kathy, and walks away. Like he knew her first name. <laughs> I'm just thinking, that must be her boyfriend. You know, Ron Wilson must be her boyfriend. And I, I, just, I just, I watched him from then on, just like, you know, back off, you know. <laughs> But I was a third grade boy. Like a third grade boy has nothing to go up against a male school teacher. I mean, you know, I mean, since, since caveman days, if, if you want to attract women, you become a male school teacher. I mean, there is no other way to showcase, you know, savage, animalistic masculinity, you know, than to be a male school teacher. I mean, y'all know Dan Costello and Tracy Esters and Jason Phillips, you know, and Mike Wheely. I mean, you know, that's just, that's just what you do. I mean, male school teachers got, you know, all the access to the dry erase markers and, and, and they got, you know, a planning period and, and all. I mean, you know, what did I have? I was a, that's a third grade kid in husky jeans. You know, there's just nothing that, that I had, man. If Kathy Winkle is out there, I mean, I mean, girl, you're missing all of this your whole life. You, you, you had your chance. Oh lady. Cause she's out there. What is she now? Like 70. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who's smart now? Ms. Winkle. Uh, put all of that out of your mind <laughs> as we come to the passage today. Um, the, the great commandment, the great commission, of course, are the two great things that we remember. The great commandment, the great commission. The great commission is a commandment to go and make what? Make disciples of all nations. That word disciple literally just means learner. It's a student. It's an apprentice. We're supposed to make people apprentices, learners, followers of, of, of Jesus. And of course, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. We have to love the Lord with all of our minds. So, so understand something. In this Christian life, this life you're living following after Jesus, you are a learner. You're a learner. When the disciples, the, the learners of Jesus, talked to him, most often they referred to him as their rabbi, their, their teacher. They called him teacher. This was a student and learner relationship. And in your relationship with Jesus to this day, it's a teaching and learning relationship. You're learning from him. But most of us really don't learn very well, and some of us old dogs haven't learned a new trick in a long, long time. For a lot of us, learning does not come automatic or easily, and that's why learning is a discipline. It's a discipline. So let's come back to it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 is where we'll start today. This is Jesus talking. I'll read the passage, and we'll come back. 11, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Get this. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever 
and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28, then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. If you've been in the Bible very much, then this is probably some, something of a familiar passage. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. It's a familiar passage. Do you know, that, do you understand that in the ancient Jewish context, rabbis would frequently talk about their yoke. A, a rabbi had a yoke. Now, when you say yoke, you're thinking about like two oxen or, or, or working animals who would be yoked together. You know what I'm talking about? It's like two big collars and, and, and they're yoked together so that they pull together. That's what a yoke is. And when we think of yoke, we think of that. So you've probably always read this passage in terms of, you know, the work we do for Jesus is, is not really burdensome. It's that sort of thing. But understand, Jesus is speaking here as a rabbi. And this is an invitation for you and everyone else to come and be his students. And so when he says, my yoke is easy, come and let me teach you my yoke is easy. He's speaking as a rabbi. And he's inviting you to come and be his student. Interesting. And when it comes to rabbis, back in Jesus' day, they, they literally debated at what age a young boy should start learning the Scriptures. Sometimes as early as three, typically around the age of six, they started school. Now, the school, of course, was the synagogue. They would literally go to the place of worship, and that's where they would learn the Scriptures. And the Scriptures were the only thing they would learn, the only textbook, the Scriptures so at age six, the young boys began to study the scriptures, of course, to learn in Hebrew. The rabbis in those very first lessons would have the boys begin to recite scripture. And as they would say the words of scripture, the rabbis would come by and put a drop of honey on their tongues. Why would they do that? They wanted the boys to learn that the word of God is sweet in their mouths. And so they would drop honey on their tongues as they would begin to, to recite the, the word of God, the, the scriptures. So at the age of six, they began to memorize the Bible. They would learn Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And by the age of 10, they would have those first five books of the Bible memorized. Uh, understand, they wouldn't have a paper copy to carry home. Nobody had an individual copy. If you were going to carry the word of God with you, it had to be in your heart. So by about the age of 10, the students would start weeding themselves out. Obviously, some boys would be perfectly capable of memorizing the scriptures like that. So they would learn Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then if they continued in school, if they were bright students, they would learn all 39 books of the Old Testament. They would learn it by heart. They could state it. They could recite it. It was memorized. It was in their hearts. By age 13, 14, the entire Jewish Bible memorized. 
those boys would be taken on into the schools of the rabbis. And the rabbis then would take that scripture that was now in their hearts and their minds and they would challenge them and stretch them with questions, with problems, with religious tests. And the boys would learn and grow and grow. They would follow the rabbi everywhere because they didn't want to miss a single word that he might speak. Now, I'm talking there about the boys who did well in school. Not every kid could do that well in school. You know, you start at six, but by age 10, if you weren't getting it, then typically you left school and you went ahead and you started working with your father. So by about the age of 10, there were some boys who were Hebrew school dropouts. They weren't going to make it. They were never going to remember that they're, they're the kids that some of you can relate to. I mean, just never, ever going to get it. If I got to memorize the book of Genesis to, you know, to graduate, I'm done. And a lot of these boys were done. And so by the age of 10, 11, they would leave school. They would go and start working with their fathers. They would take up whatever profession their father had, and that would be their lives. So one day Jesus was walking down by the Sea of Galilee. Remember the story? And he came upon some fishermen, some young men who were fishermen. So you got to stop and ask, why were they fishermen? Because they weren't disciple material. Do you understand that? They weren't disciple material. But because they were fishing, we know they couldn't cut it. When it came time to memorizing the Bible, you know, that they couldn't get past, you know, the cover that just says Holy Bible. I mean, that's as far as they got. Now, they're not disciple material. These men were not cut out to be students. They weren't cut out for Hebrew school. They weren't cut out to follow the rabbis around. These guys are fishermen because they are not disciple material. Which is what makes it fascinating that Jesus goes up to those men and says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you for I will give you rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It it was an invitation to come and learn. And they left everything. These guys who'd already dropped out of school are already proven that they weren't disciple material. They leave everything to be this rabbi's disciple. Why? Well, why? Why would they leave everything? Their families, their livelihood, everything that they know. They just drop their nets there and they begin to follow this rabbi. Why? To be with him. To become like him. They left everything to, to be with him. To become like him. And if you were going to follow this rabbi, if, if you're going to be his disciple, then you must do something of the same thing. You must learn to love him more than you love everything else. You must learn to drop everything so that you can be with him and, and become like him. 
And your Christian life is a process of being with him and becoming like him. But this doesn't happen automatically for us. It's just not. It really takes something of, uh, of our energy, something of our, our, our greatest strength. It, I mean, the work that the Lord does in our lives is, is completely his work. It's his work of grace. It's his power. It's, it's nothing with us. Remember, a yoke is, is being yoked together so you can pull together. And Jesus is inviting you to come and be yoked to him, which means, guess what? He's going to do all the pulling. I mean, you know, if he's my rabbi, understand, he's already accepted me. I've already been guaranteed to graduate. And the scripture says, he who begins a good work in you is going to take it all the way to completion. You're going to graduate, folks, with an A+. Plus. I mean, you already get all of that because Christ offers you all of that. But at the very same time, he can't do any of this in your life without your participation. You have to be a willing participant in your own spiritual life. And that's why we've been talking about spiritual discipline. Spiritual disciplines are biblical practices that when done regularly allow us to be with Jesus and become like Jesus, transforming us by the power and beauty of the gospel, transforming us. We change. There's so much changing to be done. There's so much that needs to be worked on in my life. If I'm going to become more like Jesus, I am so far from that. It can't happen overnight, but it could start today. And it, and it demands that, that I somehow apply myself to being with him and becoming like him. This transformation has to happen. But pay attention to this. Remember what the book of Romans says in chapter 12, verse 2. It says, let God, say the word, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. God wants you to use the mind he gave you so that you can become more like Christ. God intends to, to accomplish so much of what he wants to do in your life by, but by changing the way you think. It's, it's, it's learning. It's literally learning. It's, it's, it's changing, but, but, but first, before he can do anything else about, about me, he's got to change the way I, I think he's got to change what goes on between these two ears. And this is the most difficult part for most of us. I mean, if you just want me to adopt some habits, I can typically, you know, fake my way through habits. If it's just about coming to church, I can set my alarm on Sunday and I can go to church. If you just want me to help the poor every now and then, I can write a check. I mean, if you make it all about external things, most of us can, can accomplish that because we can fake our way through it. We can, we can be hypocrites, but, but no, the change that Christ wants to see in your life is an inside out kind of change. It's, it literally begins with the way you think you're becoming a new person by by learning to think differently but by, by learning learning to think differently now so much of this is going to come down of course to, to god's word the, the bible and i know you've all got one you probably all got two or three and and lots of you carry it with you to church on sunday and that's fantastic because honestly no one has ever changed by an unread bible an unread bible I see a lot of you carry an unread Bible. You, you don't know it. I mean, you just haven't read it. And some of you have, have been in church for years and years and years. It's, it's like in the Word when it says, you know, by now you ought to be a teacher. You know, by now you should be teaching. You, I, mean, I mean, my goodness, you've been in Sunday school for like 50 years. You haven't learned anything. You should be teaching by now. I mean, this is the frustration I think that the Holy Spirit has with so many of us. Because we have this Bible, we read it, but we never learn anything. Never learn anything. 
It's just really kind of funny sometimes to talk to people about the Bible because when they find out I'm a preacher, they feel like that's what we have to talk about. And they'll say, well, you know, Brother Tim, I was reading in the Bible the other day. You know, I really believe what the Bible says about, you know, a penny saved is a penny earned. Okay, y'all, that's not in the Bible, just so you know. I mean, people, I mean, seriously, a lady sitting on the front porch talked to me. She said, yeah, you know, Brother Tim, it's just like the Bible says. Once a man, twice a child. I said, pardon me? Excuse me? Once a man, twice a child. Is what the Bible says? You should read it. Yeah, I don't know what that means, first off, but, it, but it's not in the Bible. It's just not there. You know, it's, it's, it's a book. You can read it. It's, it's not any thicker than, you know, some of the books you've actually read. I mean, you know, it, it, you, you can read this. And, and if you don't read very well, y'all, there are audio Bibles now. It's pretty amazing. That same live version Bible app that I'm pushing on you guys all the time, you understand that that, that thing will read the Bible to you in whatever language you want to hear it in. And it's free. It's free. It might take you a while to read your way through the Bible, but do you understand that if you just listen to the Bible being read to you, if you listen to the Bible for every waking hour, which I know would be a lot of listening, but if you listen to the Bible through every waking hour for several days, you could listen to the whole Bible be read in three to four days. This is doable. You can read the Bible. You can understand the Bible. You could be learning something. Maybe you're a slow learner. Lots of us are slow learners, but you got nothing but time. Read, learn. It doesn't count if you're not learning anything. No one is changed by an unread Bible. So you've really got to change the way you approach your Bible reading because whatever you're doing, it's just not working. You're not remembering anything. You're not learning anything. So let's talk about some practical ways that maybe you could begin to learn to actually study God's word. I will give you one very, very simple word of advice. And this is really practical, really simple. But start reading your Bible with a pen in your hand. A lot of you do this right now. It's not bragging. Just show me. How many of you have a pen in your hand right now? You're listening to this sermon with a pen in your hand. Awesome. Awesome. Now, why are they doing this? In case like I'm preaching and they remember something that needs to go on their grocery list and it's like, oh, you know, pork and beans. No, no. Because most of us have realized by now that if we want to remember anything at all, we've got to write it down. I mean, most of us are that way. You don't remember anything that's not written down. Clifton Smith used to say, if it's not written down, it didn't happen. Aren't you a little bit like that? You don't remember anything that you don't write down. So why is it in your spiritual life, there's just never anything that you feel like you should write down? You already know all of this? I mean, you're going to remember all of this? No, the, the fact is most of us show up at church or at Bible study or even in our own private devotions, we show up before the word of God, but we actually have no intention of remembering any of it. It's not that important because if it were, we'd write it down. So learn to read your Bible with a pen in your hand and underline things, circle words, date it. Honestly, I know I'm preaching to folks who do this well, because some of you say, Pastor Tim, that sermon you preached today, you know, you preached nearly the same sermon back in August of 1987. I said, I did. Yeah, I dated it. I wrote it down. You know, I mean, that's good. That's good. You remember 
because you wrote it down. Write, write things down. Write in your Bible right now. One of the most glorious inventions ever is the wide margin Bible. Have y'all seen it? They even call it the journaling Bible now. We've got several on the table. I'm not selling Bibles, but there's some on the table for you. They're awesome. It's a Bible, but it's got an extra wide margin so you can write. I love that because I love to write my questions or I love to write the things I feel like God's speaking to me. I love to date it, man. One day I was on vacation on the beach, literally, and I got to the verse about how, how, how the, the, the waters, the seas roar and praise the name of the Lord. And I thought, oh man, I'm at the ocean. And so I wrote right there, man, I just read this verse at the ocean because I knew most of my life is not the ocean, but I could come back to that in the word and just remember what that was to read that verse in that location and hear the mighty seas praising the name of my God. That's just beautiful. It's, it, it's a relationship with God, with, with God's word. And, and I almost always have a pen in my hand. Right now, these days, I'm keeping my spiritual journal in, on my iPad, which is fantastic for me. But, but I love to write things down. You should be writing things down. Honestly, most of the people that you've ever known who grew spiritually, they probably had this kind of habit. Often at funerals, when it's time to preach one of your funerals, the family will say, Pastor Tim, let me go get her Bible. I'll bring her Bible to you. The family feels like your Bible will say something about you. So often, just be warned, your family's going to hand me your Bible when you're gone. And honestly, sometimes I can open a Bible and I can understand, wow, this person lived a very deep spiritual life. I can tell, man, they've been on every page and they have written up every page. It's a rather beautiful thing. Man, when these days they're going to hand me your Bible and the only thing I'm going to be able to say is, well, you know, she sure loved juicy fruit. You know, I mean, there's like a gum wrapper and, you know, she must have loved juicy fruit your Bible, read it, but, but write it. And, and beyond that, learn to keep a spiritual journal. You'll see folks here at church, or maybe you've known people through your lives who, who literally kept a book. They would carry a blank book with them. I, I do this, and, and many of you do this, and many of you should start doing this. It, it's actually just, it becomes a place to write things down, the things you're learning, the, the, the prayers that you're praying. This is a very, very important spiritual tool. Sarah Sullivan, one of the saints of our church, kept beautiful journals throughout her life, and they are amazing to read. She's not a perfect woman. She was never a perfect woman, but she was a woman who every single day put herself before the Spirit of the Lord and just continued to beg him to change her, and she lived a beautiful life. You, you, you could do the very same thing. A spiritual journal is a wonderful tool, and it serves several purposes, but what I want to do right now is stop, and, and I'm not going to be the one to explain this to you. I want to let you hear this from a couple of folks in our church who I happen to know have a, a habit of journaling. Now, I want you to meet Chris Limley. If you haven't met Chris yet, Chris is typically in cafe. Go, Chris. Uh, Chris is typically in cafe. You're going to meet Chris Limley and Larissa Adams. Is Larissa in this house? Larissa's here. Yeah. This is Chris and this is Larissa, both having a conversation with Nicole Buckman about their, uh, their personal discipline of spiritual journaling. This is pretty fantastic. It's very, very practical. It's just a few minutes. I'm going to step aside. I'll come back and wrap the sermon up, but I want you to hear what these two have to say about what journaling means in their spiritual life. Carson, hit it for us. Will you please? Hi, my name's Nicole Buckman, and I'm here today with Larissa Adams and Chris Limley. They are joining me today so that we can talk a little bit more about journaling 
and they're going to share some insights into what they do, how they journal, um, and just share some tips with us maybe so that if you're looking and thinking about starting journaling, maybe it'll encourage you and inspire you to do so. Why did you want to start journaling? Well, I felt like with my devotions, I, I have ADHD bad. I either have, I'm easily distracted during the devotion or from the devotion. And I thought if I do it intentionally, have a method that I sit down and I put it in writing, it will make me retain it better and it will just make me better focused or more, more focused. Chris, what about you? What made you start journaling and want to do that and continue for so long? I started in 2002 because I was in a Sunday school class at another church and so many answers to prayer were occurring that someone had the idea, it was my father who was teaching the class on the campus of the church, why don't we do what the children of Israel did and build little stone altars for all these major answers to prayer and be a dedication to the Lord? Well, I didn't want to put stones all around my home, so I just went with paper and started writing down things that were happening in my life, concerns. Most of it was concerns. And then how God started answering those prayers and they started becoming testaments to him. And so the reason it stayed 15 years is because it's not every day. It's not, there'll be months, even a two year period one time passed where I didn't journal at all. But looking back on these, you can't, I mean, it's, I haven't regretted one single entry they're not all the same. They're not all praise reports. Some of them are concerns. Some of them are doubts. Some of them are exciting reports. And so that's how it's sustained for 15 years. But that's how I got started. It was just to start writing down what God's done for us. So when I forget what he's done for me, I have something to go back to. Um, is there a certain method that you follow or is it really just based on what's happening in your life? What is, what do your journals, what does that look like? It's evolved. When I first started, it was just writing down some things that happened during the day and what my prayers were. And then also uh, some of the sermon notes. And then I started, they started becoming prayer requests in there from other people. And I just carried around with me wherever I went. And so there might be two or three entries in one day. And then over time, it just started developing into what happened or what's going on in my life right now. Or what's a prayer that I have that I know God's going to answer. I don't know how. And I can't wait to come back in here and write how he answered that prayer. And I'll go back and dictate to that where it was before you can find it. So it's, it's not just one format at first, because I didn't know, but I found my style after a while. So that's the thing, finding your style. There's not anything right or wrong about how you're going to do it. It's about, for me, it was about remembering what God did. And that's what, uh, that's how mine has evolved. Larissa, what about you? Is there a method that you follow when you write, or uh, is it more just inspired like Chris's is? No, mine started off with, again, mine was because of I was easily distracted. So I knew I needed a um, structure. I needed structure during mine. So I am a big Pinterest person, and I saw um, this entry or this post that somebody had made that um, it was called the soap method. Um, and it's a mnemonic for the word for soap or scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And you go through, you just write all of that down. And I did that for a good solid year. And I went, after you asked me to do this, I thought about, I was like, wait a minute, I'm not even really, I don't 
write down S anymore. I don't write down O anymore. I don't write A. I don't write P because I just use that. It's just part of what I journal now. So the mnemonic worked and it keeps me structured. It keeps all four parts there. Um, so I would say that method worked for me. I know. You're, you're both parents. Hmm. Three, right? Mm -hmm. Three. Yes. Both work full-time jobs. How do you find time to journal? Almost every journal that I put in, I put in the time of day it is wow. when I'm writing it to. And almost all of them are 11 o'clock to 1 a.m. When everything else is asleep and it's quiet, that is when I can just write. And every almost, I'm, I would say 95% of them are that time. No way during the day. No way in the morning. I'm not a morning person, but I am a night owl. And that's when I can find the time to do that. Well, I started, again, mine was because of ADHD and getting distracted. So I'm a morning person. So I would get up early in the morning and do my devotional. I had no problem doing that. Where I found I was, I struggled with that was because my kids didn't see me do that. And I really want to be a good example for them. I want them to see me going through that practice. Um, so I've started kind of getting out of my routine and doing it while they're up and around and moving. And I just had an episode the other day where I had to like calm everybody down. I was like, can't you guys see that I'm <laughs> reading? You know, I had to do the discipline in the middle of my devotion. Just, but I wanted them to understand how important it was to stay focused and keep me focused at the same time. So, In conversations I've had with both of you, it's this idea of not only you growing in Christ, but wanting to leave a legacy to your children, to your family, to anyone that wants to read and see what a relationship with Christ looks like. And, and we can talk about just journaling, and I feel like a lot of people do that. But when you add that desire to leave a spiritual legacy, I feel like even that adds something to it. Joshua chapter 3 and 4, the spies had come back and said, hey, we can take this Jericho. And Joshua has the uh, Ark of the Covenant carried before. And when the priests are carrying their feet hit the water because the banks of the Jordan were overflowing, God said, I'm going to have the water stand up. And they crossed over. And when they crossed over and came up on the other side, he said, get 12 stones, pick one man from each tribe, and throw these stones here. For your children and your children's children will know forever what God did this day. And that's the legacy part of this, because I write this for future people reading, whoever it's going to be. Uh, so when I write this, I'm not just writing necessarily for my, that's, that's how it's, it didn't start that way, but that's how it's evolved yeah. is for the legacy part of this. So when my kids see or read this and they can go, you know, just have something to fall back on and, and hear the stories of what God has done. And that's the best way I know to put it. That's, no, that's I why that's what it. started it. And I think it's why God had them do the stones, the altars. And so that these, cause we'll forget as human beings, we, if we don't stay in God's word, if we don't stay tuned in to him, we will forget what we're supposed to do and go back to our fleshly self, or at least I do. And so, uh, this is a way for me to go back and look through and see 
encourages my faith. I hope it encourages future people's faith. And I also like for it to encourage people's faith around me that are, I know they're in my books, they're in my stories. So I'm, I did it to, uh, again, it evolved, not thinking about the purpose, all the purposes that it could fulfill. Um, but I do think it'll be nice for the kids to look back on my journals to see how I struggled with parenting. My prayers a lot have to do with that and how I can handle, how I want to be the parent they need me to be. And um, someday when they become parents, I hope that they can look back on it and see that the struggle's real, there's nothing wrong, but I relied and prayed with God um, with my struggles. So. In this day and age, we don't do a whole lot of letter writing. So that was another part I felt like this, that's going to fill a void because um, we do a lot of the internet and stuff. Mm -hmm. There's value in seeing somebody's, your grandmother's handwriting, you know, and that right. thing. Yeah. And then seeing, and again, seeing their name and your concern that day during that prayer, I think there'll be a lot of value someday. What advice would you give to someone who's maybe considering journaling, but maybe they're afraid or they're worried about the guilt factor of yes. missing a day or they're just not sure where to start? I'm going to put it from a guy's perspective, okay, in that us guys maybe aren't always in touch with our feelings or things. So it seems kind of silly to do, but I wanted to leave a legacy for my kids. I eventually, it didn't start off that way, but it conti continued for that reason. And I just, I, I don't think it's most eloquently, eloquently written material, but for those who, uh, especially maybe men, just start, get a book and be intentional about it and just start writing down things that God's done for you or what you're going through or what a concern is or and it helps my prayer life, uh, seeing it written down, you know. And then sometimes I put check marks. Here's the nine things I'm praying about. And as you prayed off, as you prayed, and each one of those became answered, it wasn't just a continual thing in your mind. Oh, this is dumb. I'm worried about this. You start seeing how God met every one of those needs. And the thing is, what I've learned in 2000, I don't remember in 2005, on this particular date in 2005, what my concerns were, but I had them. Every day we have those things that's on our mind that is God delivered then, but will he deliver now? And it's humbling to see what he did then, and you don't know how he's going to do it now, but he will show up. That's why I'm excited about doing the journal entry for today, because it's like, Lord, you've always come through. So. Start with something real or realistic, you know, once a week, mm -hmm. every Sunday, every Monday, whatever, a day that's not busy. And then I think you'll feel, you'll like it. You'll see how easy it is, how little time it didn't, it, you know, it took. And I think you, you can add to it. Again, just start off easy. Thank you for being willing to come and open up and share something that does tend to be so private for people uh, and hopefully encouraging some of our fellow members to maybe start something, a new spiritual discipline that'll help them to grow. I really, really appreciate your time. Larissa, thank you. Chris Limley, thank you. Uh, let me just say a few things. We'll wrap up. Um, First off, like every other discipline, journaling is the kind of thing that you'd have to do it a while before you really began to realize how important it is. All disciplines are like that. The, the, the benefits, the fruit are not often on the front end. Uh, they, they are somewhere down the road as you begin to invest in your own spiritual growth, your own spiritual life. Um, 
there's so many benefits to journaling, and I'm, I'm only emphasizing this because I really think it would help most of you to, to get a blank book and just start writing, just start writing some things down. I mentioned Sarah Sutherland, y'all. She was a great lady in our church for many years and a, and a great influence on my spiritual life. I will say that. Um, Sarah's journal was interesting. One day she wrote this blistering, just blistering entry. She was so mad at one of us at church, and, and she didn't put the name in the journal, thank the Lord. But she wrote, you know, God, I'm so mad at her. You know, I know that you say I'm supposed to forgive, but I may never forgive her. And if I'm supposed to forget to, I know I will never forget. I mean, she was just telling God all about one of us. I mean, she was mad as fire. Uh, but then she said in the journal, she said, but God, I understand if you want this for me, then you can do it. So if you can do it, you got permission to do it, but I won't be doing it without you. I mean, that's what she said. You know, if, if I, if, if I got to forgive and forget, you're going to have to do it because I'm never forgiven. I'll never forget. You know, it, it was just, it was something I just wouldn't think Sarah could write that. It was mean y'all. But then the most beautiful thing, Sometime later, Sarah went back to her journal and read that page again, and she wrote another entry, and she just wrote, for the life of me, I have no idea what this is about. I don't remember who it was. I don't remember what she did. And then she wrote, Lord, you sure did a number on me. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's just that ability to go back. To go back and remember, remember what you prayed, remember what you struggled with, and then you have a way to begin to measure what God is doing in your life. If this is important, like other important things, then you probably ought to write some things down. So write some things down. Uh, just wrapping things up. Uh, help me out, Carson. If we get back to my notes, I, I got two more. I just want to wrap up the whole CrossFit. Uh, as, as a Christian, you need to understand that your goal is to strive for continuous growth continuous growth. That means your Christian life is lived in the every dailiness of it. And if you're not involved somehow every single day in seeking after Christ and trying to learn from him, then you're probably not growing at all. There's an every dailiness to the Christian life that you have to learn to surrender to. Therefore, you're striving for continuous growth. You never reach a point where you stop growing. You never want to stop growing. You never reach an age where you get to retire from spiritual growth. It does not work that way. You strive for continuous growth. And then the last thing, little changes over time lead to big change. The work that God wants to do in your life, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen probably in one fell swoop. There's not going to be one magic moment, one magic act. It's, it's, it just doesn't work that way. There's this every dailiness of following after Jesus where day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, we begin to look a whole lot more like Christ. It's the little changes over time that lead to big change. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Make some small everyday changes in your life that over time will make a big difference in your spiritual life. Uh, worship team, come on back up. Let's have a word of prayer. God, we love you. Lord Jesus, we adore you. And we long to learn from you. You have promised that the yoke of your teaching is, is easy and that the burden you place on our shoulders is light. God, it's not because any of this is simple. It's not because any of this is, is within our power, Lord. It's not within our brains, Lord, to think your thoughts. It's not within our strength, Lord, to do what you call us to do. But, Lord, the beautiful thing about having you as our teacher is that you supply everything you require from us. Whatever you ask us to do, Holy Spirit... You give us power. Whatever it is we're called upon to know, Lord Jesus, you teach us. Day by day, Lord, we learn that walking with you is not burdensome. 
although it does take discipline. Oh, Lord God, teach us to surrender ourselves to the daily habits that would help us to be with you and become more like you. We pray these things in your precious and holy name.